hey, while you're finding your seat, why don't you just turn to somebody and say, you're so glad to be sitting next to me. Go ahead and tell them that, would you? You are so glad. What's going on, live stream? We know you're watching us. I, we, we, we read your stuff. You send it in to us. We're, we love you. We, we consider you part of the LOH Church, Lighthouse of Hope Church. We're starting a new series this morning called uh, Treasure, and I just can't help myself. I didn't know it was the right protocol or not, but I can't help myself. My man, Sean Twig, and his lovely wife, Renee, and their kids are here today, and we love them. We love them. We love them. They're the Twiggies. We love them. Love, love, love. We're going to start a new series today called Treasure, and we're going to look at the thought of being loved by God, and we're going to come from a couple different angles today, but this, uh, this series, I'm excited. I couldn't be more excited, uh, though, uh, last series, and then I actually, I got, I, I got blessed watching myself preach, and I, I never do that. I can't hardly, I can't hardly stand to watch myself, but I watched myself, but it was, it was what I saw Last, in, the, in last week's message, with all the Bibles across this altar and all the people coming up to take their Bible, their Excalibur, and with a blessing from God and, and going out into their life again with the sword of the Spirit, it just so fired me up. Uh, but we're starting a new series today, and I'm excited about it, and the series is titled Treasure treasure. And, and we're going to look at all different uh, uh, thoughts about the grace of God and the love of God over the next, actually or, or the whole month we're going to be into this. So let's get into it today with a, with a message I've titled, Loved by God. Jesus called the kingdom of God the greatest treasure. And he said that it's a treasure that when you find it, it's worth giving your whole life for. It's worth more than life itself. And we're going to, over the next few weeks, open the treasure chest of salvation and discover once again, maybe some of you for the first time, that's exciting, but discover once again the incomparable riches of God's kindness that's available to every person in Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to talk about. What did he do for us? What did he do for us? What did he, and, and, and why did he do it? Why did God do what he did? Why did Jesus do what he did? How does God bring us to a place where we can experience riches from salvation? And if you have already experienced salvation in its beginning, what now? What for? What is our purpose now? What is your purpose? What is our purpose and then what is to come? Do you know that Jesus is coming again? I'll say it over here. I don't know what happened to you. I don't know what happened to you, but do you know that Jesus is coming again? Well, okay. Some of you got scared. He is? Uh. Mm. The Apostle Paul was the first to really see salvation as a treasure. And he said that God had given him authority and grace to preach what he called the unsearchable riches of Christ. What a phrase, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul had a fiery passion to preach and teach the good news. And Paul was set apart by God because of his great love and mercy for Paul. He opened Paul's eyes, opened the eyes of his heart to the treasure of salvation. And so Paul you know, if you've noticed, when Paul wrote, he didn't use any punctuation. He just wrote. He couldn't, he couldn't stop. He didn't have time to stop and put a period. He was just so on fire for this great thing he had to unpack, and he wrote many letters. And I, I encourage you to dive into all the letters of Paul. 
But over the next month, we're going to go to one place and get laser focused, and we're going to go to the book of Titus. Small little book with power, powerful treasure that God wants to unpack. And so I want us to go there today, but before we go to there today, I want us to go to God one more time. And would you join me one more time in prayer? Heavenly Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit, who is in this place so powerfully, would help us. I pray that the Holy Spirit would open the eyes of our heart and he would birth a hope that makes our heart leap for joy. That the Holy Spirit would empower our feet with inspiration to walk by faith and not by sight and to have our faith on fire again and renewed again. I pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit would create a new clarity to clear up any confusion that we may have concerning grace and truth, salvation and sin, And most of all, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would flood our spirit with a brand new love for Jesus, a brand new love, a love that lifts us up again, a love so that we can take off and go into a new season of hope with faith and on a mission because people need to know this treasure. And you have given us a commission, Lord, a great commission It's not just to the church, it's to each person. Freely we have received, we must freely give. Lord, I pray that this lighthouse of hope becomes a blazing light to lead people back to hope and back to Jesus, to hope in you, Heavenly Father, and to hope in Jesus. We ask it all in his name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go to Titus chapter 2, verse 11. And uh, we're going to laser focus this over the next month, and today we're going to extract one theme out of it, uh, talking about the love of God. So here we go in verse 11. It says, Paul says, For the grace of God has appeared and offers salvation to all people. It teaches us, grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Tim, it's not in there, but I'm saying it to myself. Tim, these then are the things you should teach. That's what I'm doing. Then on to chapter 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, don't you love that phrase? He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And once again, I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent 
and profitable for everyone. Loved by God. Look what it says. Uh, our media team, especially Josh up there, he makes these things just step, uh, uh, speak out to us. Grace appeared, and it offers salvation to everybody. There was a moment when God revealed to us who he was in kindness and love, and he saved us. That's love. Verse 11, chapter 2, and verse 4, chapter 3, address the great need we all have. Paul tells us that God didn't leave us to ourselves. He appeared. God didn't want us to guess what he was like. He showed us what he was like in his son, Jesus Christ, God on earth in flesh and humanity, and he offered salvation to us. Why did he do it? Because that's who he is. He's gracious. He's filled with kindness. He's filled with love for all people. Isn't that amazing? God knew that we wouldn't know what he was like. God knew that we didn't know what we were like. God knew that we didn't know why we were like what we didn't know we were like. And so God in his love appeared. In his kindness and his grace, he saw us, he knew us, he knows our need, and he loves us nonetheless. But here's what we're going to see first. God in his grace loves us so much, loves us too much to keep us and allow us to stay the way we are. He loves us as we are, but too much to allow us to stay as we are, and that's grace. God knew this is what we needed. When he appeared, he knew this is what we needed. We needed a love light. Ready? We needed a love light to show us our depraved but desperate need. We needed a love light to lift us from the toxic pit of our desperately sick heart. What a bummer. We were just shouting and singing and dancing. <laughs> desperately sick heart? Yeah. Some of us who were in celebration mode this morning, we can go back to a time when our life was not a celebration at all. Anybody remember that? Some of us didn't know why. Miserable and didn't know why. Bound and didn't know how. God in his love did something about it. In my life and in some of your lives, he turned a love light on. But that love light, first of all, flooded us with the awareness that we were depraved and desperate, that we were in a toxic pit and our heart was sick. Jesus came into the world, he said, as a doctor to honestly but tenderly shine a great light on our need. When grace appeared, our desperate need was revealed. It just appeared. Before light came from God, we just went along our way with questions more than answers. Broken and unable to fix ourselves. Trying, maybe, until we gave up. But God loved us too much and his light appeared. And that light makes people feel like what is true. They're undone, undone and desperately sick. Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners. And it's a doctor. It's the sick who need a doctor. Look how the Holy Spirit leads Paul to describe our condition before Jesus comes into our life. 
He uses two words, ungodly and, and, and filled with worldly passions. Ungodly and worldly passions. And then he even goes deeper and explains what that looks like. It looks like this in verse 3. At one time, we too, at one time, we too were what? Foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. If it feels good, do it. Could be a big lie. In certain contexts, if it feels good, if you do it, you're going to feel worse. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. People that are living like that aren't going around singing, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, right? We would never know unless God loved us enough to show us we were wrong. We were lost. We were bound and barreling toward eternal separation from God, a shipwreck on the way to crashing on the rocks for eternity. See, hate and wickedness don't come to us. Hate and wickedness come through us. But here's the thing. It's not the role of the church, this church or any church, to point an accusing finger in arrogance and harshness towards sinners. Jesus never did. But grace at the same time will not let sin off the hook. And the church shouldn't either. The grace of God is working at full power when people are made aware of how sick and depraved and desperate their heart is without anyone telling them. Because the Holy Spirit makes the truth evident on the inside. We aren't called as a church to dumb down grace. Jesus' light and love would shine so bright that people were made aware of their foolishness, their re rebellion, their deception, slavery, cravings that weren't right. Not necessarily because he pointed an accusing finger, he just showed up. Jesus never made people feel okay about their sin but he made them understand that God could help them. And God wanted to. The grace of God appeared. Chuck Swindoll, one of my favorite writers and pastors of the last generation, and he's still kicking in his 80s, he's still pastoring a church. Um, he wrote a book a long time ago called Growing Deep in the Christian Life. And he talks, about, uh, he talks about this tension between grace and, and truth and all that. And he, and he uses this example. He says, one of the largest department stores in our nation took on a commercial venture that proved to be disastrously unsuccessful. It was a doll in the form of the baby Jesus. It was advertised as being unbreakable, washable, and cuddly. Unbreakable, washable, cuddly baby Jesus. I think Ricky Bobby worships him. <laughs> and they packaged it in straw and satin crib, plastic surroundings, and appropriate Bible texts added here and there to make the scene complete. Only problem, it didn't sell didn't sell. So the manager of one of the stores in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, 
began to panic because they had this <laughs> huge inventory of cuddly, washable, plastic baby Jesus. And so as in a last-ditch promotion to get rid of those dolls, he brandished a sign outside the store, and it read this. Jesus Christ, mark down 50%. Get him while you can. That's not what we're called to do. There is a tension in the world that says to the church, I will accept your Jesus if he meets my requirements. So if we make him plastic, cuddly, and washable, God isn't going to sell it. Grace is not a marked down offer of Jesus Christ that winks at or gives a person a cover and a license to continue to live foolishly, disobedient, continue to live deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. The gospel doesn't lower the light, but grace elevates the need for the light. Because God loves us. People say, well, if that's love, I don't want anything to do with it. Listen, that's love, and it's your only hope. And it's because he loves us that he exposes us to our desperate condition and our need. We are not okay. Okay? We're loved, but we're not okay. A love light shows us our depraved and desperate need. A love light comes to lift us up from the toxic pit of a desperately sick heart. It's our challenge as the Lighthouse of Hope to not diminish the light. Because every person in the world, due to the toxicity of a heart that's separated from the Holy Spirit of God in a heart and the blood of Jesus to cleanse a heart, will either crash and burn in the sea of the world or crash while they go to church as we present a reduced-price Jesus imitation and plastic with artificial lighting, and that won't change the desperate need in a person's heart. It is the grace of God that awakens our conscience to our condition, our heart condition, so that we are alarmed and miserable and desperate and realize we have a need. That's God's love. That's God's grace. And it's the same grace that takes that heart tenderly and draws us out. Everybody say out. Draws us out. Out. Draws us out of the pit and puts a power in us that rescues us from not only Satan, not only sin, but from ourselves. And that, friend, 
is a treasure. A treasure. In spite of our condition, God still loves us. But he loves us too much to allow us to stay the way we are because we're either going to crash into the rocks in the world or sit in a church and still crash. But God so loves us. Here's how much he loves us. That he became one of us. He appeared. He appeared. An epiphany. A phanero. Greek words for letting the light become known. The light was always here, but because we were in darkness, we couldn't see it. But he loved us. And he not only appeared, but then he went all the way. You know what he did? He sacrificed himself for us. Man. Here's what it says, for the grace of God has appeared and it offers salvation. Wait till next week we talk about what salvation is. It's not a Jesus Club card that you put in your pocket with your sins forgiven and you still live a crash and burn life while you wait and hope, hope and hope that somehow, because you have your Jesus Club card, you get in on that day. Salvation is a powerful encounter that can only be compared to something greater than God parting the Red Sea, drowning the enemy, lifting people out of a bondage, and placing them in a land of promise. That is what salvation is. And it's offered to us for free. Why? Because the kindness and love of God for man saved us. God did something over 2,000 years that put something in motion that no demon, no principality, no political power, no man, no, no governor, no army, nothing can stop what God has already established. He already brought the mission home and brought about salvation to anybody, anybody, anybody who will come and receive this powerful, powerful work of heaven for people. That's what he came to do. There is a love offer to you today from God, and it's not reduced. It's fully offered. And here's what, it, here's what love offers us. God's love offers us a chance to face ourselves and our future. Grace creates a crisis in the light. When I was an eight-year-old boy, I prayed and asked Jesus to come into my heart. I don't know whether it took or not. Some, some in a certain theological camp would say it did. I don't know if it did because I didn't live for him from age 8 to 17. I knew about him in my head, but I didn't live for him in my heart. Did I have a Jesus Club card? I don't know. If I would have died, would I have gone to heaven? I don't know. Hey, here's a good idea. Don't live your life in a way that when people come to your funeral, they have to hope you made it. But I'll tell you what I know. At 17 and a half years old at an altar in a Wesleyan church, I went in there lost and depraved and broken and depressed, and I walked out of there with joy in my heart unspeakable and full of glory. And I didn't do anything except answer the woo of my heart that the Holy Spirit was hooked onto and drew me to Jesus Christ. But I was miserable for months prior to that. God's grace had created a crisis in my life. And it's my belief that Jesus' life and words create crisis in the guts of a person's soul many times before grace is ever awakened in their heart. Shows us our great need and then gives us the grace 
to not repel back, but to run toward. And he draws us to himself. We are not called to expose people. We are not called to condemn people. But we are called to present the right gospel. And it's God's saving work. God can open the eyes that we could never open. Our Bible verses aren't going to change hearts unless those Bible verses are sent straight from the throne of God. But we know what we need to do? We need to be present. Grace of God appeared. He went into the darkness. In the lighthouse of hope, people are called, the church in general are called to live light in the darkness, but not offering Jesus at a reduced price. God wants to use some of his people to create a crisis in the guts of other people without an accusing finger, just by being present. This is what I believe Jesus means in the first line of the Sermon on the Mount when he gets up and he says, you're blessed if you're poor in spirit. You're blessed if you're in mourning. In other words, if you are spiritually miserable and you can't do anything about it, you come to the right place. And if you think you're ready, by the time I get done with you with this sermon, you're going to wonder if you ever knew God. Well, I think I'm all right. Check, 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 check. I got that one. Uh, uh, look at a woman to lust after or commit adultery. Um, hey, string up the band. We need amazing grace right now. <laughs> Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You'll be satisfied. You'll be satisfied if you're not hungry for it. The grace of God creates a hunger, a crisis, and a need. Buchner writes about it this way. He says, in a sense, we are all hungry and in need, but most of us don't recognize it. With plenty to eat in the freezer, with a roof over our heads and a car in the garage, we assume that the empty feeling inside must be a case of the blues. It can only be cured by a weekend in the country, an extra martini at lunch, or purchase a brand new television set. But the poor in spirit are not under such delusion. They hear Jesus' words as a musical song when he says, come to me all who are labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. The poor stand a better chance because they know they're empty. They know what he's talking about. We have to feel under the burden and the unbreakable yoke of sin to hunger for a Savior. Be willing to consider the possibility of accepting this offer. God appeared in a body, light into the darkness, and he asks us to meet him at the crossroads and shows us our need for the cross. But this kind of light is not the end. It's the end of the end for the sinner where God can create a new beginning, a miracle, a new life, fresh beginning and a purpose. Paul says it this way, the grace of God appeared offering salvation you know what that offer is? He offers us a chance to find real love. He offers us a chance to find real freedom, real freedom. Grace creates an experience of need, poor and undone, so that God's Spirit can knock on our door and provide a pathway to lead us into an experience of what Paul calls the kindness and love of God. 
Nothing can liberate the soul as the forgiveness of Jesus. There is no liberty like knowing that Jesus personally forgives you of your sins. It's one thing to fade that. It's another thing to feel that. And I'm here to tell you the Holy Spirit can, can heal your feeler. I felt the Lord's presence in this place today. You? You know what? That's one of the great reasons why it, it's good to get in the habit of coming to church on a regular basis. Because you know what? What I felt this morning, uh, no, no offense to sheets, but when I'm standing in line to, to get my hot dogs or whatever, I don't necessarily feel what I felt in this room this morning. When I'm off at a baseball tournament, I don't necessarily feel what I felt in this room this morning. I'll tell you once again, God can do more in five minutes in the presence of God than we can do in a five-hour prayer meeting, whining and moaning. Come on. If some of the backslidden Christian coaches would quit having tournaments on Sunday, some of those kids that they're coaching might get saved. And it's a shame that a lot of those coaches are, are Christians and you're backslidden. Is that plain? That's grace. Because I care about that kid that's hitting 375 who has demons beating in his brains and doesn't have a clue where to go to find answers and freedom. Amens aren't drowning me out on that part. I don't know why I did said that, but I guess God did. So anyway. Next slide. We have to stop to consider the cost of love, the price love paid. Paul says Jesus not only appeared, but he gave himself for us. Do you notice when I said what I said a minute ago, I didn't blink? Sherry talked about hell coming for your kids. He has no mercy. I didn't say playing sports is a sin. But I'll tell you what, there are a lot of things that we get used to doing because we're not in the light. And we're not in moments when the Holy Spirit can deal with us, Jesus Club members. That's next week's message. Ungodly doesn't just mean you hang out with people that are smoking crack. Ungodly means you can sit in a church and God isn't Lord of all things in your life. And it takes the grace of God to awaken us to how selfish and carnal saved people can be while there are people who do not have a clue about all the things that you and I have already come to know. And we need to appear. Not with a plastic, cuddly Christ, but with the real presence of a Savior that has to reach down into the guts of our toxicity and bring us up into liberty in Christ. And it cost him everything to do it. He gave himself for us. 
You know that feeling that grips you after escaping something that could have brought great damage to you? I remember I was traveling to D.C., going down to pick up my daughter uh, on a Friday afternoon at the University of Maryland, and they have that, they, they have that lane, that, uh, what do you call that, that H, whatever call that lane, I can't think right now, I'm on cold medicine. I was getting ready to say HVAC lane, <laughs> whatever that thing's called. I got flying in that lane so I can make time, right? And all this, somebody's car broke down, and it wasn't pulled off. It was right in that lane sitting still, and I was going 65 miles an hour. And, and I saw it fast enough to stop, not stop, but be able to get over, and I almost didn't get over in time. After that happened, you know that feeling that comes over you like, right? Or you're getting ready to, the light turns green, and you're getting ready to go, and something in your gut says don't go yet, and all of a sudden some knucklehead comes zooming through there. It was probably me in a former life. But some is going, and, and you don't go, but that feeling, that feeling, that feeling, like, I could have been. I don't mean, oh, I could have wrecked the front end of my car. No, I could have been killed. You know that feeling? And that feeling, you just stop for a minute, and you stop for a minute, you take inventory, you think about your wife and your kids, you think about your, you think about, and just for a minute, you stop, and, you, and, you, and, and sometimes, you know, you can't, you can't shake it. Sometimes it happens, and man, I mean, you can't shake it. it. It stays with you for a couple days. Raise your hand if you had anything like that happen to you before. Let me ask you a question. Do you realize what we're avoiding by being saved by Jesus Christ? Wait a minute. Do we realize what we're avoiding only because God in his grace worked deep in your heart to reveal to you that you were desperately in need of something that this world couldn't offer you? Every single second of every day, God's heart beats passionately for every lost former you in the world. Every day. Can you imagine a lighthouse saying, hey, we've spent enough time out there. What about our own? Let's just shine the light back inside the house. Hey, they, they've, they've created their own mess. What about us? I've been raised in church 55,000 years. What about me? Shine the light right back in. I'm out there. You're out there. They need to know. They also need to know they need to know. <laughs> because some people don't know they need to know. And their view of God is just that God loves me just the way I am. And that's a psychological uh, response to God getting too close or us being too harsh or us being too accusatory or judgmental. And with no answer to the person that says, I tried to overcome this, I tried to overcome that, and apparently I can't, God made me like this, and the, and, and the church has Bible verses. And a lot of those people look at the church and go, well, they're not overcomers either. And the answer isn't, you don't have to overcome. Here, we have another Jesus Club card. We just made it down at the print shop. You just be who you are, come on in, all of us together, that's not grace. That's a plastic Jesus at a reduced price. There is no need to reduce the price because the Spirit of God can work deep in the heart of a person that you think could never hear the message like you and me. 
and make it real. You may, and you might be surprised. Somebody that you talk to a million times and you think they're never going to get it. One week they just wake up. One week they just wake up. One week the light just turns on. This happens. So I'm going to close today. Let's talk about the crossroads. I want to talk to believers, me and you, for just a moment. We think about the cross, we think about the lost. And that's true, but there's a cross. How many know Jesus said that believers are to carry the cross? Raise your hand. They didn't do it over there. Raise your hand. Yeah, okay. Got to move fast. It says that he delivered us from ungodliness. I've been conditioned in my life to think ungodliness is the big sins. And, you know, hatred and pornography and, you know, adultery and, you know, stealing and murder and all that. But ungodly just means any part of the circle of my life where God isn't in first place. And so as believers, uh, that, can, we, that can mean that we can be saved and in a church, but we're ungodly when it comes to being about mission. We're unshining. We're unsearching for the lost. We're unservants. We're unsharing. We're unseeking. And we, we need to come to a crossroads. Because the lost at sea are searching for a lighthouse. There's an urban legend by a great blues guitar player and singer way, way back in the early 1900s by the name of Robert Johnson. At one point, uh, he was considered a mediocre guitar player and a blues writer. And then he disappeared for a while. And when he came back, the way he played the guitar blew people away. And there was a rumor, and I believe even Robert might have even said it, whether he meant it or not. Uh, the rumor was that he had gone out to the crossroads and made a deal with the devil. Netflix, there's a whole thing about it. That, that, that Robert went off, because when he came back, and the people that were there, they said, we heard, this guy blew us away. He blew us away. And, and, and whether he was playing with them, he said, I went out of the crossroads, I made a deal with the devil. You know what? I don't know if that happened with Robert, but I think there are people that actually have done that in some form or fashion. Some knowingly, some unknowingly. But then I began to think about that with this message, Crossroads, and I thought, what about Christians who are un... They're, they're not un... Uh, you know, with all the list of sins, you know, we, we, okay, I'm overcoming that, I've overcome that, Lord, by His grace, help me over I'm not talking about... I'm talking about unmission, unservant heart, unseeking the lost, un... you know, and we go back to the crossroads. And we come back and we say, Jesus... I'm at the crossroads. I no longer want to live for myself with a Jesus Club card. I want to come to the crossroads, and it's not that I'm making a deal. I'm coming to ask you, Lord, I really want the grace of God that bought me to work through me. And I don't want to be ungodly about mission. I don't want to be all about my way. I want to be at the crossroads, and I want to no longer live for me. I want the, I, at the crossroads, I want the grace of God to not only come and lift me out, but lift me in and lead me to, because I want to spend the rest of my life before you come back, where I have lived 
by the zeal of the Lord. Not guilt, not program, not a system, but by the zeal that changed Saul into Paul. I want to live by that, and I'm coming to the crossroads today, and I'm asking you to make the mission of my life to no longer be about polishing my holiness trophy, but about giving my whole life to the cause of Jesus. Let's go back to the crossroads this morning. I want everybody to stand. Some of you on live stream, some of you that are here today, uh, you can't go to the crossroads about that, but you need to go to the crossroads at the very beginning. And you would never know until now. I'm reminded of what one of the Salvation Army leaders of the past said. I, listen to this very closely. I don't know if it was William Booth who started the Salvation Army or not, but listen to this. He said, I deserved to be doomed forever. I love this, but listen. But God loved me so much that he interfered with that. He interfered with that. The Holy Spirit wants you to know that he's shown you the danger. And now in spite of all the danger in his kindness, he's shining a light for you to come to the cross and surrender so that God can pour kindness and forgiveness and love and power into your heart and set you free and then fill you with a new heart, fill you with a new desire that will incre incrementally begin to develop and evolve in your life. But you have to start at the cross. With your heads bowed today, Lord, I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit who is digging down deep today, who is going down under the surface places. Lord, the Holy Spirit who is working deeply in the hearts of people who are lost and in working in the hearts of your people, Lord, your people. And you're talking to them about the un- parts of them. And you're calling us to the cross today. I pray for those that are watching. I pray for those that are standing here. That the Holy Spirit would make it undeniably true and accurate about the condition of that person's life. And Lord, I don't want one person in this place to, to be talked out of forgiveness because the enemy is talking to them right now. Listen, if you feel bad about yourself and you feel like God wouldn't want you, you've gone too far down the road. You should have got off the exit where, it's where Jesus says, in spite of all that, I welcome you to find your place in my heart where you can have treasures that you could never imagine. Holy Spirit, from the front to the back, all across the world or country or state, wherever people are watching this right now, I pray that you would speak to them and draw them by your power to Jesus in the cross. I'm going to ask those of you who need Christ today, as the Spirit leads, as this band begins to sing and play, to come and kneel at this altar. You're not kneeling to join this church. You couldn't join this church today if you wanted to join this church today. But you can come to Jesus today, and I want to give you the opportunity to come to Jesus today. Kneel at this altar. You know what I said? I didn't have a formula. I just lifted up my hands and said, Jesus, help me. The best prayer you can pray, Jesus, help me. And for brothers and sisters, listen, I was a young boy in a nine-week revival, and the Holy Spirit began to deal with me about giving my whole life to the purposes of God. Not my purpose, the purposes of God. 
I'm going to ask you, believer, young believer, new believer, old believer, to come to the crossroads today and give it all up to Jesus. All of it. For the kindness and love of God for man has appeared. And he's come again today to save you. He'll wash you clean, make you right. Would you come? In Jesus' name.